How many of you have a snow globe at home? They're pretty cool, right? I almost bought a snow globe for somebody for Christmas, but I, I pulled back on it because you don't get that 365-day use out of that particular gift. But I'm here to make the point today that every one of you, and myself included, our lives are like a snow globe. How so? Well, whether you do, as this gentleman from Vienna has said, you turn it upside down once, let all the snow settle and turn it back over, or if you shake it up, I think it's safe to say that in life, you're going to find yourself upside down or shaken on a fairly regular basis. Snow, I love snow. I thought it was snow in the middle of the night last night. I get up, it was raining. I was kind of bummed. I like snow. I came from snow. I was born in Michigan. I've lived in the UP of Michigan. I've driven across the country in 100-year-old uh, uh, blizzards that were, that were worse than anything else in 100 years. I love snow, but if you live a shaken life, if you live an inverted life too often, that which is beautiful can actually cause you blindness. They call it snow blindness. The reason the globe is so beautiful is because it needs the time for the snow to settle. It can't be a storm all the time. Now, why would I talk about such a thing at the beginning of a year when we're doing things a little bit different when it comes to responding to and working through the basics of our faith? Good question. Because it doesn't matter what's asked of you by the Lord or a pastor or the Bible. If you don't have a settling, if you don't have the discipline of quietness and silence in your life, if you don't have the absence of snow, you're going to grow blind to the things in the spirit that you need to see. Some of us are living a life that's constantly shaking and the snow is constantly falling. The world would love to shake us up. The world would love to turn you upside down. The prince of the power of the air would love to keep you shaking, would love to turn you upside down on your head. The Christian in this century, in this cultural moment, has to understand the power of silence and stillness, quietness. A silence, my friend, that is not just audible, it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. I would be a fool to embark upon a year of doing something out of the ordinary that asks much of you if I didn't first accentuate and ask you and encourage you to maintain a level of silence in your life. It's a practice of a lifestyle of following Christ. Some people have a problem with silence. Others relish it too much. Some hide in it. Some totally ignore it. But silence has a purpose. Stillness has a purpose. It's addressed in the scripture. It's practiced by Jesus. And if we miss it, life will be an ongoing blizzard-like experience. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7. There is a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. There are 783,137 words in the King James Bible. I want to talk to you today about five. Just five. A time to be silent. If silence has no place in your life, you're not reaching your potential. You're not who you were called to be. You're not relating to others on the level that the Lord would like for you to. You don't understand yourself. You don't understand him in the fullness of where you should be with him for a lack of silence. Silence is crucial. Knowing what I know now, and perhaps you knowing what you know now about what has transpired in your life and your children's lives and your grandchildren's lives, I thought this morning, if I had one thing that I could go back and do differently, well, actually, there's two. One, I wish early on in my walk, I was saved at at age 25, I wish early on in my walk somebody would have taught me how to be quiet and meditate. And knowing what I know now, since the advent of the technology that we have in our life, I wish we had taught our children how to meditate. Not some weird Far Eastern thing, a Joshua one thing. I see children going bonkers. I see adults going bonkers. And I, and I know that there's a lot of reasons for that, and I'm not here to talk about those. I am here to talk about the importance of stillness and silence. If only for a minute, or two, perhaps one day ten, perhaps a lifestyle. It is so crucial in this world today that we come to an understanding of what it means to be quiet. Quiet not for quiet's sake, but quiet for the impartation of something qualitative, something beneficial, a quiet that is beneficial to our lives. A time to tear, a time to mend, or so. A time to keep silent, a time to speak. If you studied silence from a scientific standpoint, you'd come up with the science basically validates everything that the Bible already says. This is typically the case. If you studied silence in people's lives, in control group settings, here's what you'd find. Silence in a person's life, regular, uh, regular science, increases their level of focus and concentration. In other words, those who embrace the biblical understanding of silence and meditation can focus and concentrate. Those who don't may not have such a grasp on focus and concentration. Number two, those who practice silence and meditation actually have an increased creativity. They're better at solving problems. 
They're better at uh, expressing themselves artistically. They're better at expressing themselves verbally. They are more creative. Number three, those who know how to meditate in silence have an increased sense of calm. Conversely, those who are riddled with a lifestyle of anxiety, which is nothing more than a shaken snow globe all the time, have a greater sense of peace and calm. A greater sense of productivity happens in the lives of those who understand when to turn it off, when to be still, when to exercise the presence of God. All of these. Increased silence and meditation brings about a deeper level of patience, a higher level of learning, and a much more uh, sensitive uh, gift of awareness. Not dullness, acuity. Not dullness, sensitivity. Not a glazed over malaise, sensitivity to the word, to the presence, to the love, to the mercy, to the grace of God. There is a place in our lives, a prominent, paramount place in our lives reserved for silence. The Bible addresses it throughout the scripture, and so too must we. Now, it can get to be a little, this is one thing that frustrates me about church, about Christianity, about the way we talk with one another. It's challenging sometimes. I'm kind of a word guy, if you noticed. I like words. That's all I have is words. But things that are so overused, my quiet time. I have my quiet time in the morning. See, a quiet time is not always a quiet time. It, it differs. Sometimes people say I have my quiet time. They don't even have a quiet time. Some do, and it's very rich, restorative. It's, it's defining. But you were not created to get up and go 100 miles an hour from the second you get out of bed to the second you get it's not It's not in the cards, my friend. The quality of your friendship with Christ is in part contingent upon your ability to discipline yourself at first and linger in the silence with God. There it is. So, let's take the quiet time vernacular and let's look for more depth. It's a good subject. I'm watching a video the other day of a Finnish woman, a woman from Finland. Who's been to Finland? Raise your hand. Really? Wow, that's impressive. Anybody else? Two people have been to Finland. Okay. A Finnish girl is speaking with an American journalist, and there's a lot of frustration in the dialogue, mostly for the American. Why? The American would say something, a sentence, a complete thought, with a period and everything. She would get it out, and the Finnish girl would not respond immediately. She had the audacity, (laughs) the actual brazen audacity, to think about what was said. 
to ponder it, to think about what was actually meant and what was the heart of the person who said it, as opposed to overlapping the last phrase of the sentence and speaking back to the American. It's a cultural thing, but it's a spiritual thing. How many, if you listen to your dialogue at your home, in your home, how many of your conversations are without interruption? How many of us speak before the other person's done, finish the thought of the person that was speaking? And we do that because we didn't grow up in Finland. Finnish people allow you to finish a sentence. How about that? And the American finally said, do you not understand what I'm saying? She goes, no, I understand totally. But why, why do you wait so long to respond? She says, I'm trying to appreciate you. We don't have this phenomenon in our culture. But I think Jesus does. I think when he says something, he wants you to think about that. Ponder that. Be still with that. Recognize the impact of what was said. Allow it to reverberate into your heart. Consider the weight of what was said and the context that was said and what he meant by it. And I think, I think our rhythm of our life prohibits, prohibits us from really connecting with one another because, frankly, a lot of us, not all of us, like to hear ourselves talk. They, there are some people in my life that are talkers. I mean talkers. There's people in your life that are talkers. You know who I'm talking about. Okay, you're laughing. I know you know what I'm talking about. I hope it's not me. We have to slow down sometimes. Appreciate. Quality over quantity. All right, let's take it another step. I think there are, um, I was in a master's program one time in a reformed theological seminary. A lot of people think I'm reformed. I'm actually not. It just happened to be uh, down the street and convenient to get to. But there was this thing called common grace. Common grace in the reform mentality was, um, what did that mean? It meant that every person that's alive who doesn't know Christ is already almost innately equipped with the ability to recognize a need for God, okay? When, in Genesis 126, when it says, we're made in the image of God, common grace and reformed theology would say, there's already something of God there or we're equipped to connect on a, a level, a, just at a capacity to understand a need of God. Okay, common grace, kind of an innate thing. If you look at uh, our culture, you'll see this. After 9-11, what happened? The, the pews of the country filled, swelled, right, with people. Because there was either a recognition of a need of something of God in the midst of something that was beyond what we could actually do anything about. There was a sense of desperation. Or there was a recognition that I've fallen away from what it means to be a part of something with other people where we get through it together with faith. Uh, sometimes in your life, catastrophe will hit and it'll draw you back to God. 
the common grace. You, ha- you have the awareness that you need God, okay? So 9-11 is that awareness, and, and, it, and it dissipates fast. I saw another example of that the other day, and I'm not saying this is a negative thing. I'm saying it's an absolute positive thing. Not too awful long ago, a few weeks back, there was a place in the United States of America that by all counts, you could easily say would be the loudest spot, the loudest physical spot in the country on that evening. You could say that it would be the most boisterous, the most loud, the most contentious, the most recreational, the most enthusiastic you've ever seen, the most passionate place with the most decibels of sound in the country would be in that one spot. But something happened that no one expected that made it the quietest place in the country where you could hear a pin drop. And the heart attack of one football player took a 180 degree turn from loudness to total desperation and silence, helplessness. They went from power, physical power, strength, reputation, status, abundance, to total helplessness and a need for God. It was a great thing. Uh, The response, the wellspring of response, of prayer, of reflection, of of an attitude I need to look at my own life, Uh, millions of dollars pour into a GoFundMe page. That is a response of something that was latent within the culture of the country that a, a desperate situation pulled out of people in word and in deed. Those who didn't pray, prayed. Those who hadn't prayed in a while, prayed. Those that prayed it every day, prayed. It was great. But there was a recognition of the appropriate etiquette and protocol of the situation lent itself to one thing, and one thing only, total silence. The thought of corrupting the moment with a continuation of a football game was absurd. That's, that's the desperation of the moment. That's when you know. You mean to tell me they didn't finish the game? They didn't finish the game because the potency of the moment of the helplessness of the desperation found only in the silence and expressed in the silence of tens of thousands of people, if not millions of people across the country, was the only appropriate response, okay? Let's take this a little deeper. There is a deeply... I don't know how to say this because I've experienced it through others, I've experienced it with others, but I've never truly experienced it totally on my own. But there is a deep, um, penetrating pain that is experienced by people in the world, in this world and in the church, when they sit, in a kitchen, where they lay in their bed, and they sit in their living room, and there is a void, 
as big as a crevasse in a, in a glacier, there's a void after the loss of their loved one that they've been married to for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. It is an abiding, deep pain. It is an audible silence. Not long after the funeral and the cards and the casseroles, weeks down the road, when the details have been taken care of, there's a night when you go home, you walk in the door, you can't stay busy anymore, you can't hide it anymore, you can't evade it anymore, you have to sit in the silence and the lonely pain. But the thing is, that silence is the single most favorable access to the comforting presence of God one could ever experience. To avoid run from or hide from silence is to also block oneself if not disinvite the spirit of God into those moments. And I know that some of you know that you know of what I'm talking about. Right? Right. Let's be honest about it. We know it's coming. And then it comes. You can't prepare yourself for it. But the silence in our life is reserved for something of God that far exceeds what the presence of that loved one could ever provide you. God didn't come up with death as a result of sin but he came up with a solution in the silence for the comfort of his presence. You see, it's just not about a quiet time. It's about times of awe and desperation and total abandonment and helplessness to know that an accident, a catastrophe just happened at some point in time when the excitement and the, the activity and the swirling uncertainty and fear of what just happened and how it's going to impact our lives at multiple levels, at some point in time in the hospital room, in the ICU, I've been there before, when you're all alone, there's total silence. And, and he has to be found in that silence. He has to. He has to, you're, he, he has to embrace you. He has to make sense of it. He has to empower you to get up and go one more day. But the silence is a necessity. It's deafening. But Christ fills it. He gravitates toward it because he knows it. 
Why do you think he asked time and time and time again for them to pray with him in Gethsemane, but to no avail? He was as alone in the quiet as he could possibly be, and that's where he found the Father. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. That came out of silence. You can live your entire life, your Christian life, your Christian walk. Unfortunately, it's, this can easily be done, too easily be done. If you conform to the pattern of this world, this is too easy to happen. You can actually live your Christian life without silence. What a, tra- what a, what a, what a travesty. Elijah in the cave, silent. God whispers. I'm talking where you don't pray, where you don't talk, where you just sit in the reverberation of the presence of the, of the God, the ancient of days who made you, who sustains you, who restores you. There's the access, the greatest availability there is in the midst of the greatest pain. But without the pain on a daily basis, that very silence is a, is a tone setter for a day. It's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity to reflect upon who you are, who other people are. It's a time to establish love and compassion for another, to shut down your entire life and make the noisiest of lives, the snowiest of snow globes, absolute, serene, quiet, dead desert where you can hear. You have to long for that if you want to grow in Christ. You really do. You have to know that it exists, and you have to long for it. You have to pursue it. That's why he goes into the desert for 40 days. That's why they can't fight him half the time. Where did he go? Silence. In the silence, listen, I hear this all the time, and I understand why I said the same thing. I really don't know what to pray. I really don't know how to worship in the way you're talking about on my own. There is a relationship with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, my friend. Where we don't have to say anything. Excuse me, what do we have to say that is more important in reverencing and his response to us. See, those who sit and wait, wait on him to speak, to heal, those people will mount up with wings as eagles. They soar, those people soar. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to do anything. There is a time when you just sit in his presence, posture yourself, because what you have to say pales in comparison what he wants to say and do. And that should be a part of every one of our lives. Silence. Time to tear, time to mend, uh, time to keep silent, and the time to speak. We're not called to be silent our whole life. 
But there is a time for it. There is a time for it. There's this, there's this place that you can go in this relationship with God that it's almost rude to speak. It's, it's like it violates some sort of divine etiquette. If our relationship gets to the point where it's always about us talking and not even finishing our own thoughts, talking over ourselves, it's not two-way. Ask a question and then sit there. Don't say a word. Don't move until you get an answer. You see, a good God is not rude. He doesn't ignore us. He responds. Silence. Keep the silence, my friend. They were opening scrolls in heaven one time. (laughs) Every scroll further brought everything on the earth nearer to its total catastrophic calamity. Incremental destruction. The desperation of heaven to get any and every soul left on this earth who would finally maybe just repent at the very last second and acknowledge the lordship of Christ. On one hand, it looks violent and cruel. On the other hand, it looks so desperate on God's behalf. Please, please, please respond to what we're doing here. You don't have much time left. And every scroll that was read was, was happening on the earth and they could see it. And finally it came to the last scroll and it was so much more than the people in heaven could actually really process. It was so far beyond that. Even beyond Hollywood movies, if that'll make you really understand what I'm talking about. And the Bible says in Revelation 8 and 1, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Total awe. Nothing casual. Nothing formulaic. The only one true response, awe. total awe. Silence takes you there. You don't get to awe and skip silence. When we occupy the airways, there's no awe. When we don't know what to say anymore, that's awe. When we don't longer have any words, that's awe. When we can just stand or just sit and weep, that's awe. And God deserves that. But awe is, 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 is a place in all of our lives for awe of, of God. There's a place where we're friends. There's a place where Jesus has a sense of humor. There's a place where we can relate and he understands what it's like to be alive on this earth. There's a, that's all appropriate. But there also is a place of awe. Stop, 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 stop. And just sit out of respect, 
reverential silence, the silence and stillness that we have speaks to him. That's how we speak to him with that. When we're verbally stymied and don't know what to say, that speaks to him. That speaks out of, see, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And when you can't speak anymore, it's just your heart there in his presence, and there's nothing you can say. Nothing need be said. He doesn't need to hear from us in certain moments. He needs to know that we, in relationship to him, make him not a prince, a king. You don't just run your mouth in the presence of a king all the time. Sometimes. You just get on your face. There it is. You get on the hardwood floor. You get on your bedroom floor. You, you kneel down. And that's all you have to say. You raise your hands. That's all you say. You speak with your hands. You weep, you speak with your tears. Silence is an invitation. Especially when we're, it puts us in a difficult spot. When we discipline ourselves to be still and silent before him, he recognizes that desire in that discipline to fellowship with him in that moment. There it is. As our worship team comes up. The world moves too fast. You can't process it. Can't watch the news too often. 24 hours a day, can't do it. You, you, you can't live your life through your cell phone. It's, it's stupid. You can't do it. Why do people come up here? Why, why in, in July 4th will be so, more, so many more people here? Why did they come here? We think the weather. Okay. But you know what else it is? Quiet. Just quiet. Bible says you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say you're measured by your work. But you can't sit around and do nothing either. 2023 is going to be a year, if you follow my leadership, you're going to grow. But not without silence. So you now have homework assignment number one. I don't know if a minute is long enough for you or too long. I don't know where you have to start. But park yourself. Still yourself. And be quiet. Maybe add a little time next time. But listen. Listen. And be still. Ask him for his presence and be still. Just do that. Just do it. Just do it.
That is what's called not conforming to the pattern of this world. That's what happens to renew your mind. If you let silence go in your life, your mental health will go with it. And I'm not kidding. It will leave you unbalanced, anxious, afraid, frustrated, and doubting. May the loudest thing in your life this week be silence.